If you got your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them. Proverbs, excuse me, Genesis chapter 31. Genesis 31 today as we get together and study God's Word. A lot of people uh, from our fellowship are back in Washington, D.C. for the uh, National Day of Prayer, actually, where we're praying for our country. About 150,000 uh, Christians showed up praying for our nation. It was really a good uh, time. Franklin Graham was there, Jonathan Kahn, many of the Christian leadership, Michelle Bachman, many of the people that we know uh, in the Christian world were there praying for our country as well as literally hundreds of thousands of people. And so it was really a good time. And again, what a blessing it is to be able to call upon God in these times that we're in our world. Last week, when we left off in our story here in Genesis chapter 31, we remember Laban's countenance, his father-in-law's countenance, towards Jacob changed. And it was really because of people gossiping to Laban. We remember that uh, verse 1, and we'll just look at this real quick. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban saying, Jacob has taken away all our father, uh, all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. That wasn't true. He actually worked for it, and God blessed him for it. Now you're going to find, as we look at this, an exceedingly amount of jealousy of how God blesses you, and the world can't figure it out. It's just the way it works. God is the, the originator of all things. He, he's the creator of all things. Remember, he multiplied the loaves and fishes. And oftentimes in our lives, we need a multiplication of whatever it might be in our life to meet the need. God does that. So we remember that because he knew his father, he had fallen out of grace with his father. He told his wives, he said, look, let's leave because your dad doesn't like us anymore. Let's get out of here. And we remember that Rachel and Leah both had said, they said, well, what about our dowry? What about that that you worked for us for those 14 years? Uh, where, Where is that money? Is there anything left for us? And evidently Laban burned it all up, used it all up. And so really it's kind of a picture type. Laban is a type of the world. Jacob is a type of, of, of those that follow God. And really, his family had no inheritance with things of the world, and neither do we. And so when we come into the story today, what we're going to find is Laban catches up with Jacob and his family and his flocks about a seven days journey away. He was almost to the land of Canaan. And God intervened. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, may your Holy Spirit speak to us and encourage us and cause us as we read these words to realize just as you anointed and protected Jacob, so you do with each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've talked about this before, being a believer in God does not exempt you from trials and problems in the world. In fact, I'm pretty much convinced that because you are a child of God, you will endure many things. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Now, tribulation comes in different ways to different, different ones of us. It just, that's the way it is. Sometimes it can be in your job. Sometimes it can be in your home. It can be in your children. It can be in mechanical things. Your car breaks down. The washing machine blows up or whatever. These things are just part of living in this world. 
But I do believe when it comes into the spiritual realm of God intervening in our lives to keep us from becoming discouraged when things do not go the way we want, God in his love strengthens us. And so we find Jacob, I believe with God's strength, got his family, moved him, and he was headed back to the promised land. And as we read last week or the week before chapter 30, God had put it in his heart to return to his father's homeland, back to the land of Canaan, the promised land. And so it wasn't till things happened in Jacob's life that that was initiated and it actually happened. Now remember, God a lot of times will prompt us in our spirit what he wants us to do, okay? We get a prompting from God. And we go, okay, God, that would be really neat. And then we start thinking, oh, I don't see how that could ever be. And then a few weeks later, we lose our job. And we go, how is that? Well, see, God has a way of moving us around through circumstances, Now remember, God is bigger than the things you've done wrong, and he's bigger than the things that people have done wrong to you. And God is the meter of that which will help us be where God wants us to be. That's why the Bible says, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Why does it say that? Because we have to reckon if God is bigger than the things that have gone wrong in my life, And for that matter, the things that have gone right in my life. Then I know I'm going to be led by God to be where he wants me to be. Now again, at the time it may be painful. At the time you may not understand it. But the good news of the gospel is this. That God will guide us in spite of whatever it is in your way. You are God's person and he will have you where you are supposed to be. That's just the way God works. Why is that? Because you are in a cosmic accident. You are divinely created. As I've shared so many times, no one's ever been like you ever before on this earth. No one will ever be like you ever again. No one has ever looked like you, had the same same things happen in their life. That's why you need a God that knows those things to arrange your life to have you have the most impact in this world as we possibly can while we're here. So, we find in verse 25, so Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban pitched his, uh, in, in the mountains of Gilead. That gives us a location and it tells us about how far he traveled. And so he was almost to the, uh, almost to the Jordan River when this happened. And so it says, and Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have stolen away my daughters like captives and taken them, taken them away with a sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and song and timbrel and harp. Now, again, as we shared last week, he was just laying a guilt trip on him. Jacob had, uh, Laban had no intention of doing that. If you go back again to verse 1 of the chapter, you'll find that they felt that all the wealth that he had, he had accumulated was because of Laban, but it was because of God. And it was a square deal that he made with Laban. I'll take the spotted, the speckled, the ringneck, all the ones that nobody else wants. I'll take them. You can have all the beautiful Gucci ones, okay? 
Well, the Bible tells us that God blessed him. All these animals that were having calves and and, uh, all the little babies, they were all speckled and all those things. And so they became part of Jacob's uh, lot. Well, this was an amazing thing. His herds got bigger and bigger and bigger. And Laban, because he wanted just the best, got smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, we talked about this. Jacob is a picture type of Christ in the Bible. In this regard, that Jesus took all of us that were spotted and blemished and hurt and broken and heart sick and all those things, and God brought us to his side and says, I'm going to heal you. I'm going I'm to strengthen you. I'm going to make you bigger than you ever were before. And I like that about God. Remember, the things that God has purposed for you are beyond what you can even think or know. And, and again, I, I look back at that, and because we live every day kind of like a on-the-spot thing, where God, over a period of time, begins to reveal his plan and do these things. And somebody would walk up to you and say, did you ever believe that this and this and this would ever happen in your life? I'd have said, no way. But God, because he loves us, he meters those things out to us because of his great loving hand towards us. We serve a good God. We always want to remember that. And so he said, why, I would have sent you away with a big party, literally. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in doing this thing. And it is in my power to do you harm. So evidently he had thought about it. He thought about doing something really bad to Jacob to take back all of his stuff. But notice this, friends, and this is so important, and you're going to see this over and over again in the text today, but something greater, you're going to see it over and over again in, the, in, in your life. You're going to see that. Notice what it says. Now he says, it is in my power to do you harm, but here it is. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. You see, he was under divine protection. So are you. Do you find that anywhere else in the Bible? All the way through the Bible you do. Remember, uh, the devil came to uh, God, Job chapter 1. God said, this is a Mike paraphrase, but God said, where are you? Where you been, devil? And he said, they've been out cruising. And he goes, where you been cruising? He goes, I've been cruising, walking to and fro on the earth. It's all rotten, all bad. God says, have you considered my servant Job, an upright, upstanding man in all of his ways? Yeah, but the only reason he's good is because you gave him all that good stuff. You take away that good stuff from him, he'll curse you to your face. So God said to the devil, okay, you can take away his stuff. See, God knew something about Job that the devil didn't. Job knew God. Now, we read the book of Job, and our study is, of course, in Genesis, but the book of Job, again, is interesting because the devil had to ask permission to what he wanted to do to Job. The devil cannot willy-nilly do whatever he wants to do. He only can do what God allows him to do. But he also is a legal God, our God is, and when man and woman gave this world into the hands of Satan, you see the result of that. 
as you open your newspapers and you see the, the sorrow and the pain and the suffering and the injustice and all those things that you see in the world, all because man wouldn't listen to God and man still is not listening to God. You notice that? And thus we continue this horrible downward spiral to what we know is the last days and eventually into the tribulation. He said, I can do what I want to do to you. Except God spoke to me last night and said I couldn't. Always remember that. You got a God in heaven that says, ah, 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 can't touch that. See, you belong to God. You become God's property. Not only do you have your name written in glory and that you have that uh, uh, eternal reward but today, see, a lot of people in their Christian experience live for the future. I love that, and I think we should indirectly. But we also, as Christians, need to live today. And understanding today as a Christian, you are divinely protected by God. And we have to remember that. And I believe as long as God has his purpose for you here on this earth, and this goes back to Revelation um, where the two witnesses are in the streets of Jerusalem, warning the world not to take the mark of the beast. But the Bible says, and when their purpose, when God was finished with their testimony, he allowed them to be killed. The whole world rejoices. The prophets are dead. The prophets are dead. Here, have a present. Because they didn't like what they had to say. Because they were telling the world to repent. And that's not a real popular word in today's world, nor during the tribulation. And then three days later, they stand on their feet and they ascend into heaven. And it says the whole world watches them, which tells me a lot about global satellite television. But the whole world sees them do that. The point is this. You are invincible until God is done with us. And until that comes, you can be about your father's business and know you're divinely protected. He said, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now you've you've surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? (laughs) I I told everybody last week, this is such a goofball statement. You stole my gods. You know, it's really weird when your gods can't protect themselves. Kind of got a problem, don't you? Well, that's what he said. Now, why, again, why, why did he want his gods? Well, we remember that Rebecca is the one that took them. He didn't know that, but it says, uh, oh, she, uh, Rachel is the one that took them. And so Laban um, uh, had these gods and he accused him of stealing them. And so Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid and I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let them live in the presence of our brethren. Identify what I have of yours. Take it with you, for Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, went into the two maids' tent, and did not find them. Then he went out into Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and in and put them in a camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent and did not find them. 
And she said to her father, let not uh, my father be displeased, but I cannot rise before you in the manner, because the manner of women is upon me. She was during her time of the month. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. And there's a question, why did she take him? Maybe she worshipped him. We don't know. That's a possibility. Another possibility is... Uh, Idols in those days were used kind of like fortune telling. And maybe she didn't want her father going to those idols doing the fortune telling things, you know, tossing the dice. We talked about that a little bit last week as well. Uh, people trust in weird things. They have their lucky silver dollar, or they have their lucky rabbit's foot, or they have whatever. Uh, that's what they trust in. Gluing uh, statues to the dashboard of their car, wearing undergarments, or all kinds of real kooky, weird stuff. The Bible says that does not protect you. What protects you is the divine purpose of God in your life and that you are a child of his. Always remember that. Another possibility is because it represented property deeds. Some people believe that uh, a family was known by the gods it served, and so they had these idols, and so uh, they could prove where their territories and boundaries were by the gods they had. And another possibility is she didn't want her dad to be worshiping idols anymore. That's a real possibility as well. Don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he searched the house, didn't find him because literally... uh, (laughs) Rachel was setting on them. Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. I imagine this anger and rebuke Laban. He had put up with a lot of junk from this hard-nosed father-in-law of his for over 20 years. And I believe that when he finally spoke, these were pretty some pretty harsh words. Jacob was angry and he rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What's my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that we may judge between us both. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your young female goats have not miscarried. They're young, I have not eaten the rams of your flock. In other words, I've not enriched myself by anything you have. And so he says, That which was torn apart by the beasts, I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it. In other words, that I didn't bring you, and it was customary in those days, that if a shepherd was watching sheep, and a wolf would come in, a coyote would come in, something would come in and kill the sheep. It was customary then to take the what remained of the sheep, uh, it was gutted, it was blood-soaked, and bring it to the master and say, look, an animal attacked your sheep, um, thereby proving that the shepherd didn't steal it and eat it on his own, but he brought the carcass to the master. Jacob said, I never did that. I replaced whatever was lost in the field with my own sheep, with my own flocks. That which was torn by the beast, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or by night. There I was, in the day, the drought consumed me, frost at the night, 
My sleep departed from my eyes. And by the way, of course, that's what a shepherd would do. Many times the, 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 the coyotes and all would attack the flocks by night. And so the shepherd would be required to stay awake all night and bear the brunt of the weather outside. And so he says, unless the God, oh, he says, uh, I've been in your house 20 years. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the God and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God has seen my affliction and saw my labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Wow, that's pretty bold to be speaking to your father-in-law like this. I imagine the family reunion is going to be a little bit different after this. But he's saying, look, you changed my wages 10 times. I worked for you for 14 years for your two daughters. I didn't steal anything from you. Laban answered and said to Jacob, verse 43, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. And this flock is my flock. All you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to these my children whom they have born? Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and be a witness between you and me. Then this is called the parting of the ways. Now, sometimes in our dealing with in-laws, when they become outlaws, you just sometimes have to stay away from them. And that's exactly what happened with Jacob and with Laban. And so the Bible says here that Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones, and they gathered stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. And Laban called it Jagar Sidera, but Jacob called it Gael. And Laban said, let this heap of stones be a witness between you and me this day, and he called the name Gael, also Mizpah. Because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me while we were absent one from another. Now, many of you, and I, you may even have this around your neck right now, I don't know. You may have the token of Mizpah. Has anybody ever seen one of those? Well, I'll tell you what they are. They were oftentimes sold in Christian bookstores. And what it was, it was a round coin looking thing with this verse written on it. The Lord watched between you and me while we are absent one from another. And then the, co- the coin that had that stamped into it was sawn in two in a jig-jag manner. And so your lover would wear half and you would wear the other half and you would get together and go, the Lord watched between us while you're absent one from another. Let me tell you something, friends. That's not the context of the verse. Basically, they built these and said, this is the border boundary. God watched between you and me while we're absent one from another, you good-for-nothing, ripping-off snake. And I always was amazed when I would see, and I'd go to church years ago, and I'd see these 
these jagged half coins around a person's neck. And I'm going, you don't even know what that's about. You see, things out of context can get kind of weird. And that's what it was. They made a covenant with each other saying, God, watch between us and don't you ever come back this way. That's what he was saying. So Mizpah, if you, by the way, if you do a Google search or a eBay search on Mizpah, you'll, you'll come up with this round coin. It's just, you know, about the size of a quarter uh, with a loop through it with this verse written on the front with it cut in two. And I always thought, again, it, it was such an interesting thing. He says, Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me while we are absent one from another. And if you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is a witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap of stones. Here is the pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and pillar to me for harm. Isn't that weird? They made this little thing out in the desert and said, here's the border. And the Lord God of Abraham, God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered up a sacrifice on the mountain, called his brethren to eat the bread, and they ate bread and stayed all night in the mountains. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and daughters, blessed them, and Laban departed and returned to his place. And this is the last time we hear about Laban in the Bible, and probably good. Because Laban represents the world. Look what I have done for you. You know, it's interesting when Abraham returned from the slaughter of the kings. And the king of Sodom came to him and said, you, keep the, you can keep all the money, I want the people. Abraham said, I don't want, I don't want the, the money. Lest somebody would come along and say, you made me rich. You say, it's very important, the source of who we are, the source of your wealth, the source of your being. Some people believe it doesn't matter. The end justifies the means. But friends, it doesn't. The Bible's very clear about that. So notice Laban goes away. He, he leaves. Now look at the next verse of the next chapter. And of course, we remember the chapters and verses were placed in there by the people who wrote the Bible so we could find our favorite Bible verse. But it didn't break that way in the original. Notice it says, Laban departed, returned to his place. So Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. Wow. You see, you're never alone. And though you leave one thing that you're comfortable in, he left this place of his father-in-law. And even though he'd fallen out of graces with him, it was that which was known. Now he goes into the unknown. But that's where the walk of faith is. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
You'll feel an unction in your heart sometimes about doing something. I don't know if God will really take me there or not. I don't know if God will see me through there or not. We step out in faith. And by stepping out in faith, we put feet to the word of God in our life. And God begins to open doors to guide us where we're supposed to be. That's why the Bible says, I wish you were for me or against me. But if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Why? Because you're stopped on the road. You see, when we become lukewarm, we're not moving in faith anymore. That's where the miracles are. That's where the power of God is. That's where you can see the hand of God working. And that's what encourages you to be about your father's business. If God closes a door in your life, as painful as it might be, God's going to open a brand new one in your life because he loves you. That's just the way God works. I'm not so comfy sometimes in that. I'm kind of, I must be from Missouri because I'm the show me state. I want to see it before I do it. Well, God doesn't do it that way. God says, I'll tell you what, we're going to step out in faith. And the only thing you're going to know about the future is me. But God, that's hard. It is. But where's your faith? Now, again, I've shared this many times. We as Christians trust God for our eternal being with him forever, don't we? As a Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, you know that's one of the reasons we got saved, that we wouldn't have to go to hell. But because we're saved, we go to heaven, we're we're with him. And that's a wonderful thing, and that's a promise thing that God does. But then when we, we have something happen in our life that's uncomfortable, we go, God, where are you? I, I don't know. I've had a lapse of faith. <laughs> it's funny what causes lapses of faith, ain't it? I look in my own life. I see the faithfulness of God over and over and over again in my life. And really, as I look back in my life, it was as regular and as on time as clockwork. But it's funny that when I get a trial sometimes in the future, I'm going, God, where are you? Don't you love me anymore? And the devil comes along and says, yeah, God doesn't. You ought to just go off and jump off the bridge. And we go, yeah, I should. But God doesn't say that. You know why? Because God wants us to trust him. I like to trust things I see. God says, I want you to trust me. And in your course of being a Christian in your life, sometimes the only thing you will ever see is God. But I almost wish that was the way it was every day, friends. Because that's all you really need. We can put misplaced affection in so many areas. I found it in my own life. Things I thought I needed, I didn't need. Things I wanted that I found out that when I had them, I didn't really use them. Misplaced affection, I believe, is something that can affect all of us. And so I believe because God loves us, he doesn't let us dig in too much to where we are, but he keeps us kind of, well, I use the illustration, we like the white picket fence and the little gate that opens and closes. And God comes along and says, I know, watch this. But God, I I like that. But God says, no, you have to trust me. Friends, the walk of faith is important because in the days to come, 
I think where our nation is coming into some really challenging things. When I watch American cities burn, the governors don't do anything. They just let Portland burn, let Seattle, uh, downtown Seattle turn into a mess. Six running miles of Minneapolis-St. Paul burnt to the ground. Nothing, nothing was stopping it. Why would any governor do that? I don't know. So we're in challenging times. We're in a different era in America. Yesterday, Shannon Scolton, who normally does the announcements up here, and I'm going to talk, she's going to be on the radio show tomorrow, Lord willing, with me, reporting on what happened back there. She talked to General Boykin, one of the major generals in, in the military. And she said, is there anything, Mike, you'd like me to ask him? And I said, yes. Ask him where he thinks we are in America and all these things and how close we are to a civil war. She asked him that question. Now, this is one of the lead ranking top officials in the United States government. He said, we already are. And I thought that was such a, a, a strange remark. He said, we already are. Friends, I think we can all see it. I think we see the constitutionalists. I think we see the, the people that want to burn America down, you know, chop the statues up, uh, you know, uh, defund the police. Do you realize what kind of anarchy we'd have in this country if it wasn't for the police? The Bible says that people need to be restrained. These are what laws are. But see, we're in a world of lawlessness. And it's not just in our country, but it's in individuals' lives that I can do whatever I want, I can say whatever I want, I can hurt whoever I want and get away with it. God says, no, no, no. Friends, we're in a different time in our world. And if there's never a time that we as Christians need to learn to walk by faith, I believe it's now. Jacob walked away from everything that he had known. And angels met him. Always remember, you will go nowhere that God doesn't know and has already been. And I want to encourage you this morning in faith. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for but not yet seen. And our faith must be in him. He's the author, the finisher of our faith. And sometimes we'll say, well, God, give me more faith. And God increases the trials. And we go, I didn't ask for this. But that's how our faith grows. Because God has to refocus our eyes, not on the problem, but on him. And if you're going through something right now that seems totally overwhelming, and I venture to say, if you're not, you will. The test is not meant to destroy you. The test is meant to show you where you're at with your relationship with him. It's the way God works. You know, before they put a pacemaker in an individual, you may have one of those this morning listening or in the room here. You know, before they put those into an individual, they go through rigorous testing. 
they shake them and they bang them and they do all kinds of things. They do a longevity test, all those things. The, I, the test is not designed to destroy the pacemaker. It's designed to prove the pacemaker is worth putting in you. God will try our faith, not to punish us, but to show us our dependency upon him, to stay focused on him. Jacob left everything that he knew. In those days, there wasn't anybody you called. He just loaded up his family, got on a road out in the middle of the desert and started traveling. And here comes Laban with him and his men, the Bible says, his camp that was with him. He knew it wasn't going to be good. And he knew that in front of him, he also didn't know what awaited him there. Because as you remember, he left after he ripped off, not really, but in certainly in Esau's mind, ripped him off of his birthright. So I've got Laban behind me who hates me. I've got, I've got Esau in front of me that doesn't like me. And I'm stuck here in the middle with you. But you know, it's who you're stuck in the middle with makes all the difference in the world. And with God, you're a majority in any situation. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you are still trying to do it yourself. You're trying to find your purpose for life. You just are. I know you are. Because that's the way the world is. And if you wash your teeth with shiny bright, you're going to be somebody. If you drive this kind of car, you're going to be somebody. If you hang out with these kind of friends or have this certain diploma on your wall, you're going to be somebody. If you jump through these hoops, if you become accepted in the social circles, you're going to be somebody. All those things will never make you anything inside. Because you see, we were designed by God for a purpose, and that was to serve him. And anything less that we as human beings do, Christian or non-Christian, will never fulfill you inside. There was a song by Randy Stonehill many, many years ago. And the name of the song was Keep Me Running. Keep me running from the sins I can't erase. Keep me running from the things I can't embrace. Keep me running. And that's the way a person not born again is. We run from one thing to another, one thing to another, one thing to another. Trying to find, hey, fulfillment is over here with the neon flashing lights, Carol Barrel in blue saying, right over here. And like people with mindless, we run to that. I see the people on TV in the protests burning stuff down, and I, I just go, what a generation of lost purpose. Every one of them drove cars there. Every one of them was, I never saw one skinny, skinny, scrawny protester. No, they're all very well fed. And they're still mad. Because they're looking for purpose. The only purpose we will ever find is in Christ. And saying, Lord, what will you have me to do? And not to look around at other Christians. What are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? Well, that's what I need to do. God, what do you want me to do? Because God, what God wants you to do is so unique and so different. Again, because there's never been anybody like you before, never be anybody like you ever again. God has a specific purpose for you. You're not a vault sludge. You're divinely created by a creator who puts you on this earth for a reason. Never lose sight of that. 
You say, well, how do I then know what that is? Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray that, you're surrendering your will to God. You're saying, God, not my will, yours be done. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you're you're tired of running. I just want to invite you to pray this morning and let's see what God will do in your life. If you need prayer this morning as well, you pray this and ask God to rekindle that fire back in you again. So if you need to pray and get right with God this morning, you're sick of the way you've lived. You don't want another 10 years like you've just had. Let's let God do something brand new. He'll take you at your word today. So let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm sorry for the way I've lived. And so from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I'm about your business now. Close the doors of my past. Open the new ones that you will bring me through to glorify you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me power and boldness to testify of you and love for people, God, that I didn't love before because I know you loved me and died on the cross for me and your blood covered my sins. And so help me reach that message to a lost world in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray that. Welcome to God's family. Begins with a prayer, but you know, God will show you your whole life, his goodness. Start reading in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John's a good place to read. John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. We'll have a baptism. Yes, we will. Promise. And if you don't have friends, maybe Christian friends that really care for you, that's why we're here this morning, to be those that hold each other up in these times. You say, well, I don't need anybody. In the words of Simon and Garfunkel, I'm a rock, I'm an island. Well, maybe you don't today, but I promise you in the days to come, you will. And you'll appreciate your Christian family more than anything you will ever know. Because I believe the things that are coming down the line. I want to encourage every one of you that are Christians. Be about your father's business. Follow the unctions of the Holy Spirit. I just really feel like I should go up and pray for that person. Oh, that's probably just me. Really? Would you, by nature, want to go up and pray for somebody you don't know? No. Well, maybe it's the devil. Oh, yeah, he always tells us to go pray for people. So you know it's God. See, that's what I'm saying. Learn to hear your daddy's voice. He loves you so much. And by faith, we step out. And you say, but God, it's so ugly what's happening. Look at, look at God. Don't look at the circumstances. Man, I'll tell you, you got to think about it in the Bible sometimes. Here's Moses, leaves Egypt. They've been in slavery for 400 years. He's on his way out. Finally, after all the plagues, he's leaving, comes up to the Red Sea. And here comes Pharaoh's army right behind him, breathing hard down on him, and he knows they're in for a big bloodbath. He's got army behind him. He's got mountains on both sides of him. 
and the sea in front of him. Well, the only way out's up. (laughs) And God told him what to do, and they walked across on dry ground. Never fear as a Christian what God has allowed to come into your life because he loves you and he'll see you through it. Father, for every person listening today, every person that said yes to you, I pray that your supernatural anointing of your Holy Spirit will rest upon us and keep us directed in the things that you want for us. And may we not look to the left or the right or become freaked out when we see things that we don't understand. Help us keep focused on you. And Jacob met angels in the way. Lord, remind us we're not in this alone. And so, God, may you anoint, bless, touch, heal every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand this morning?